You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. morning. Uh, before I say anything else, I, I just really feel like today we need to pray again. Um, you'll understand why a little bit more, I, I guess, as we look at the, uh, the verses and the topic. Um, I, I have a fear and it's not just, uh, uh, you know, Lynn Parsons trying to uh, have a fear, but people like Billy Graham and others down through the years have uh, even came up with statistics and, and thoughts as to how many people who attend church and think they're saved are really saved. And uh, really going to heaven. And that's kind of what the passage deals with today. So I want to tell you up front, I'm not trying to make anyone unnecessarily doubt. (laughs) At the same time, I want to tell you up front, I would hate for anyone to be surprised when they stand before Jesus. Thinking that they're going to heaven. And, and then Jesus say the words that we're going to look at today. I never knew you depart from me. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, I pray this morning to begin with you give me clarity of thought. And Father, I pray you give us open hearts and help us each one. Uh, God included myself that we would evaluate the relationship that we have with you. Father, if that uh, reveals to us that potentially there's no real relationship, then give us the, uh, the transparency and the honesty to deal with that. Father, if it reveals that there's a relationship, maybe some issues that we aren't listening to you as we should, not applying your word as we should, then, then God speak to our hearts. Father, if it reveals to us that we know for sure, without any doubts, that we have trusted Christ and all that that means, and know without any doubt that we have an eternal relationship with you, then, Father, maybe do two things for us today. Help us to celebrate the fact that we know you, but burden us at the same time that there are many that do not know you, and many who might be deceived. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The series, of course, is Jesus Said It. We're in week nine of this series, and we have four more weeks to go. reason we're doing it, as I've said each and every Sunday, is that I have this concern, especially in the modern-day church in America, that we understand Jesus said a lot of stuff. And in our minds, we would say, because it's Jesus saying it, we know it's true. But then we fall short 
of allowing what he said to be significant enough for us to where we apply it to our own lives. I've used this terminology some. We need to allow the words of Jesus to be more than informational. They need to be transformational. We, we don't need just to say, well, you know, Jesus said a lot of stuff and then act like we can kind of be in take-it-or-leave-it mode as to whether or not, you know, we have to really listen and, and really apply it. And I've said this also in this series, we're not trying to elevate the words of Jesus above the rest of the Word of God because all of it is God's Word. Yet what Jesus said in the flesh he said as God in the flesh, and, and he said a lot of it, a ton of it. He said directly to his followers, directly to his disciples. So maybe that ought to be a wake-up call for us as modern-day disciples. We need to pay attention to what Jesus said. That we need to listen and apply what he said to our lives. Listen to what Jesus said in these verses. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Today's topic is simply this. Jesus said not everybody's going or everybody's not going, however you want to say it. He clearly said in those verses that everybody will not enter heaven. Now, I don't know if you felt anything right then, but I, I think even from the first of the service after the band played, and I told you we need to pray, and I kind of told you what I'm talking about, it, it's, it's like there's kind of some kind of a, a hush or seriousness or cloud maybe over the service, and that's good. There ought to be. Because the very fact that Jesus being God in the flesh, said that not everybody's going to heaven, ought to really concern us. It ought to really cause us to evaluate whether or not we truly know Him as Savior. The fact that Jesus said it ought to be a little bit soul-shuddering for us, you know? Like you, know, like you have a cold chill physical on your body, maybe a little bit of a cold chill on your soul that Jesus said something like that. To, to understand that it ought to be worrisome for us that Jesus said that he will look one day at people who evidently, I think, are going to be surprised because they're saying, Lord, Lord, but we did in way, but, but, in, in, but he's going to look at them and say, depart from me, I never knew you. So that being the case, I want us to see three, what I think are, are three very serious things in those verses that we have read. Here's the first one. 
there's a serious disclaimer found in verse number 21. Now, most of the time, I don't know if you've noticed this with warranties or, you know, things like that or legal documents or, you know, you know credit card you know, applications, things like that. Most of the time, they put the disclaimers really small. And, you know, you, you have to be pretty sharp and be looking for it and, and reading it because, you know, the, the way it maybe is communicated, it, it, it looks like there's this, this fantastic deal being offered to you, but then you have to read the little disclaimer. A lot of times they do it on television, like, you know, they'll, they'll give an almost unreal price on a new car. And, and then it comes by, you know, so fast, the big print, and then they've got little print that I can't even see anymore <laughs> at the bottom of the screen. And, and, and maybe it's there and you start trying to read it and then it's gone. And, and if you read that, you'll discover that, you know, there's a whole lot of restrictions involved in getting that price. Or they'll send out the sweepstakes to you, you know, with a key. Now, you know, come and show up at our dealership and put it in. And, and, and we, but if you read kind of the disclaimer part of it, one, the prices they're quoting, you know, real small print with approved credit, and then also when you start reading the odds of it, you and I would have a better chance of being struck with lightning than we would going and sticking the key in the car and it actually working. A little disclaimer. Most of the time they're small. Jesus, as God in the flesh, gives a huge disclaimer boldly and clearly to where not just the people that he originally said it to, but God himself saw fit to include it in his word that people for ages have been able to read it. And we can read it today. This serious disclaimer that Jesus makes. Jesus clearly said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. I mean, that's a really, really serious disclaimer that Jesus has given. Now, I'll kind of allude to this probably a couple times in the message or near the end of the message, but when you look at, at Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is kind of given a stark contrast to what a real follower and what a false follower looks like. All through the whole chapter. But here, he's, he's just clearly kind of serving notice of this. Not everyone is going to heaven. Everyone does not go to heaven. Jesus didn't say, not everyone maybe might not go to heaven. But Jesus clearly said, not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, he's, he's being really clear. He's not mentioning any, any words. I mean, I researched it out, you know, just to be sure and, and looked at the original words that Jesus used at the time he was speaking it. And, and the word not, I'm sorry, in case you're trying to find a way around this, the word that Jesus used for the word not means absolutely not. It's an absolute negative. It's not like, well, you know, no, but maybe, you know. It's a complete, absolute negative. He says, absolutely not. Everyone, 
means exactly what it says. All, every, the whole. That means, you know, everybody that, that lives is not just going to heaven. And some people, you know, pack that into their theological mindset that somehow loving God will somehow just let anybody into heaven, you know, no matter what's happened. That's the way some people view it. But Jesus says that's not the case. We'll enter. It, that, that phrase is really built on two root words. It means into, indicating a point reach, which is talking about heaven, or to come and go. It's what the two words mean. And it's really saying not everyone will attain that. Not everyone will get into the kingdom, the royalty, the rule, the realm of God's heaven. And, and the word heaven, you know, it can can mean the idea of elevation, the sky, but when you read it in the Bible the way Jesus uses it here, it's talking about heaven as being the abode of God, and the implication is eternity. It's what's being applied. Not everybody will go to heaven for all eternity. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, now that kind of begs a couple of questions, at least in my mind as I was reading this, What do liberal theologians that want to teach that somehow everybody will go to heaven, what do they do with this verse? What do they do with what Jesus is saying here? There's a whole theological mindset in in really, you know, like a a religion that's called universalism or universalist. And more or less, their doctrine kind of teaches this, that somehow... Because Jesus universally died for all people, that instantly means that everybody's going to heaven. So they're teaching that no matter what, somehow everybody one day will go to heaven. What do they do with this verse? I mean, not just this verse, there are a lot of others. But what do you do with that to try and make it sound like that, that everyone is just instantly going to heaven when Jesus clearly says Not everyone, not everybody is going to heaven. He didn't say that some might not make it. He clearly said, absolutely, everyone will not make it to heaven. See, here's the deal, I think. Being a real follower of Jesus involves more than just what you say. Because that's kind of what Jesus is is dealing with here. Being a, a follower of Jesus involves more than just what you say. Here's what Jesus said there. Look at this. He he said, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord. And you've got this thought of lip service. It's someone who is saying they're laying forth verbally. That's what the word means. They're relating in words only is really what the word means, that Jesus is my Lord. And that word means supreme in authority. It can mean a master, a controller, a ruler. But a lot, most of the time when it's used here in the New Testament, it's referring to God as being our, our master. So if someone is just saying Jesus is Lord, but they never ever live like Jesus is their Lord, Jesus is saying there's a big contradiction there. There's a problem in that. See, see, for some people to somehow believe that, well, I, I, I walked an aisle and I shook a preacher by the hand and he prayed for me and, and then he told me I'm going to heaven. So now I know I'm going to heaven and, and I, you know, that's settled so I can kind of live my life however I want to. 
misses what the whole Bible in the New Testament talks about being a follower of Jesus. It's not, it's not just like you're trying to get fire insurance against going to hell. And then after you get that, you can just live your life any way you want to. I mean, a lot of things in the New Testament, it says, you know, we become a new creature or a new creation. All the old is gone and, and something new's happened because the Spirit of God is now living inside of us. Paul said this in Romans. He, he says, if you don't have the Spirit of God in you, then you're none of His. You don't really belong to Him. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm asking all of us today that we really need to evaluate because I, I, if all you have in your life is that one time you remember a time that maybe you walked an aisle and someone led you through a prayer, but there's never ever been any transformation in your life, never any change in your life, and if you can live any way you want to without Him being like a Heavenly Father and chastising you, Hebrews tells us if, you know, if, if He's not chastising you, that you're illegitimate. That's the kind word. The old King James said you're a bastard instead of really being His child. And that's what I'm saying. You know, we just need to evaluate that. And, and I'm not trying to beat anybody up. Can I, I love you guys, and I, I don't want one day, one, for me to be accountable that I didn't try to be honest and true with you, and two, to see any of you miss heaven. And what that means, and what it you know, means to trust Christ as your Savior. It's more than just giving lip service. It's more than just what we, what we say. Not just everyone that says, Lord, Lord, and the emphasis there is with it being mentioned twice just, just kind of gives double emphasis to it. Not everyone that, you know, that just says that. In other words, people that just give, give lip service, but their actions fall short of living for Him as their, their Lord. That's a problem. Jesus sees deeper. You see, we might can fool other people, but Jesus sees deeper than the outside. Jesus sees right into our heart, and He knows whether or not we really have a relationship with Him. Whether we really authentically have said yes to Him. See, just saying, Lord, Lord, without really obeying Him really does this. It breaks one of the Ten Commandments. Look at what's said here. You shall not misuse, and that's the way the NIV puts it, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The King James said you shall not take you know, the name of the Lord your God in vain. You know how that has been packaged for us most of the time in the culture that we live in here? You better not say God... Hmm? Worried you, didn't I? You know, and, and we've got all these you know, neat phrases, you know, we can throw at people if we hear them doing it, you know, that you know, D-A-M-N is not God's last name. And, and I'm not saying you ought to use God's name like that, but I am saying that maybe there's a more serious meaning that God had attached to that when He said it, such as someone in vain taking His name to themselves and it not being real. Somebody saying that, oh, I'm a Christian, 
and it not being real. So somebody saying, Lord, Lord, but it, it, it's not real. You, you put a tag on yourself, but you're not living any way remotely that communicates that it's real. That, that you had just kind of, you're misusing his name because you, you, you've, you, you might not be using it as a cuss word, but, but you've taken it to yourself, claiming to be his, but you're not his. You're not really his. And, and that may be the, the, the deeper meaning, and to me, guys, that's more worrisome. I mean, here's the deal with that. I think somebody can be an authentic Christian and lose it in a heat in a moment's moment and say, God, and they're still going to heaven. But I think there are people who have deluded themselves also into believing that they are authentic and, and they've taken his name to themselves, but it's in vanity that they've done it because it's not real. We, we live in an area that's in, inundated with that. I'm sorry. Everybody in Caldwell County is a Christian. Have you ever figured that out? I mean, honest. Every, almost, you, you can, anybody I think I've ever asked, very rarely will someone say, no, I'm not. And, yeah, I, I know I'm going to hell if I don't change things. Most people, because, you know, mama took him to church or daddy was a deacon or a preacher, whatever the case is, or just by association, they went to this church as they were growing up or whatever they, they, they think they are. And, and, and I've asked them a little bit further sometimes and say, tell me why you think you are. And they'll give me works-based stuff that does not mean one thing in light of them going to eternity. Or church membership and things like that. Now, I always love if I can take it a little bit further. I, 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 think if, I, know, I know I've told this before some point, probably been a while, but years ago, I was getting on the elevator in a hospital, and there's this guy there with a florist that's delivering flowers. And I thought, well, I, you know, I, I was kind of new in the area at the church I was at at the time. thought I'd invite him you know, to come to church. And uh, you know, about that time, another fellow got on the elevator and everything, and, and the fellow started telling me, well, yeah, but I'm, I, you know, I go to this church over here, I'm a member over here, and then the other guy, I noticed him kind of turn and look at him and everything, and, uh, and that guy spoke up, and he said, well, I pastor that church, and I don't know who you are. So I'd like to ask you a few more questions. But just, just maybe taking his name in vain, has some application of what Jesus is talking about today where people just give him lip service and they're just saying, Lord, Lord. See, instead of lip service, I think what Jesus longs for for all of us is this. Yes, we trust him in the finished work that he did for us on the cross. That's our entrance way into a relationship with him. But what he, what he desires is life service out of us, not just lip service. Because Jesus went on there, and he said this, after he talked about lip service, he said, not the people that just call me Lord, Lord, but he says, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. 
Not everyone that's just saying, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus says. But the one that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Let me call time out before we even do the word studies because I want you to listen closely. I am not saying, and the Bible is not, does not say that you are saved by your own works. I'm going to deal with that a lot here in just a moment, okay? But I want to call time out and be sure you heard that. You don't work your way to heaven. You understand that? You can't. At the same time, I think it is an erroneous doctrine for people to think they can frivolously take God's name to themselves and just say He's their Lord and never live in a way like He's their Lord and never experience any life change because Jesus here clearly talks about His followers obeying the will of the Father. Now, that's two distinct things. But I, I just, it wasn't even in my nose, but I felt like I needed to say it like that. Here, here, here's what Jesus is saying. When he uses the word, but, he means contrary-wise, other things. It's not just people that say, Lord, Lord, but, on the other hand, is what he's saying. It's the one that does, and it literally means to make or do in a pretty wide application. It's the person that's really concerned about the will of God the Father. See, I hope you realize this as you read the Bible. There are things clearly that God says, you do this and you don't do this. You figure that out and you read the Bible? So, so God's made some determinations. God has made some active choices. God has a purpose in mind in our lives. God has laid out some decrees. God has a desire or pleasure that He's anticipating from our lives as His followers, as the ones that really have Him as our Lord. Along with it comes the concern for us to be actually engaged with what His will is. Instead of the Father's will who is in, and that's talking about a fixed position. God is on His throne. God is in total charge. God is there in heaven, the abode of God, and He has the right as the creator of all the universe, the one that's always been, and the one that will never have an end. God, as a creator, I think, and especially the one who loved us enough to send his son, has the right to have an expectation that if we follow Jesus, we ought to be concerned with what his will is. Do you not think so? That we ought to be concerned with the will of him. In other words, we're to, we're to do more than just hear his word. Look what James, our divine inspiration, wrote about this. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I mean, what, what good is it, what benefit is, is it for us to hear the will of God, and, and not ever think we need to do the will of God, and it says we're deceiving ourselves, if we take that mentality, that approach. The next chapter, James said, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith 
but does not have any words, can that kind of faith save him? In other words, the kind of faith that simply says, Lord, Lord, and it doesn't have any evidence, any foundation to it, that that person has had a life change, and that person now has a heavenly Father who they're concerned about his will. He's saying, can that type of faith that completely ignores what God's will is and never ever does God's will, is that authentic faith? That's really what, what James is bringing to bear. Like I said, all, all, through, all through chapter 7, he, he's kind of contrasting that. But the point that Jesus is making, he illustrates in the very next verses that, that John uh, Hart brought a message about a few weeks ago. Because Jesus, right on the heels of the verses we're looking at today, tells a story about two builders who are building two homes that face two storms. And what Jesus basically said is this. One of those men, one of those builders, built his house on the rock. It had a good solid foundation. So when the storm came, and just maybe that's talking, Jesus is using it as a picture of the storm of judgment, since you just had said, in that day. We're going to talk about that in a moment. One built his house on the rock, which is Jesus. The other one, Heard the words of Jesus, but he didn't apply them. So he, it's like he's building his house in the sand. The guy built his house on the rock, heard what Jesus said, and applied what Jesus said. The one that built his house in the sand heard what Jesus said and did not apply what Jesus said. And when the storm of judgment hits, that house fell because it had a sand foundation. So Jesus says that right on the heels of him saying this. Not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one that does the will, the one that hears and obeys, the one that listens to me. The one that understands it's more than just lip service, but we need to use our lives to serve the one that died for us on the cross, that purchased our salvation. See, when we enter into faith with him, it's not a thing, thank you, Jesus, now I'm going to live for myself. It almost be a thing where we get on our face before him and we cry and we say, thank you, Jesus. Now I'm going to live for you because of what he's done for us. See, to do God's will implies a relationship with him. I have to have a relationship with God to, for me to understand what he's communicating to me, for me to understand what his will is. And there is an expectation upon the lives of believers for us to actually do the will of the Father. I, I did a message a year or, or so ago, I guess, and, and, and I was talking about how we do need to think about sin in our lives. And we had this you know, young girl that was well-meaning and, and everything and about her uh, uh, you know, mid to late 20s, and, you know, she was of a different kind of doctrinal type foundation in, in, in her life, uh, and, and she wrote some notes, and, and I don't know if she meant for me to find them, but I found them, you know, laying in, in the chair, and it was kind of things like, well, why would God want me to look and think about my sin? He would not. He wants me just to look at Jesus, and while I understand that sounds all sweet and kind and everything, but I'm telling you, I need to be aware of sin in my life. Because I need to be following Him. 
See, there's an expectation. It, it, it's not just this, the, you know, this, this intangible thing to where it never affects our lives that we've trusted in Jesus. Here's some verses I, I think that help prove that. Look at these verses. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted us His precious and very great promises. So more or less that's just saying, you know, the Jesus that died for us, He has given us the knowledge of Him. He's called us to His glory and things such as that. But notice what it says in, in the underlying part. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. See, if, if God's my heavenly Father, then there ought to be a natural progression taking place that, that I am getting His attributes in my life. I mean, it's almost like someone saying, well, your children look like you. That can be a positive thing and a negative thing, depending on how you look. Or your children act like you. That can be a positive thing and a negative thing, because I'll be honest with you, my children have learned some things from me they probably didn't need to learn. Huh? But the same thing goes spiritually in our relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it, it's occurred in our lives... We receive Christ as our Savior. We enter into a relationship with God so we can become partakers of the divine nature so He can transform us and make us more and more and more and more like Him. That's why we need to be engaged in following Him and reading the Word and praying and serving Him as we should because He wants to make us partakers of His nature. You don't want us to be like spoiled little brats that say we belong to Him and we live like hell all of our lives instead of having His nature. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the simple desire. Look at this next verse. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So in other words, if I trust in Him, that doesn't mean that since I trust in Him and I've said, Lord, Lord, that I'm free to walk in a way that dishonors Him. Or I'm free to walk in any old way I want to walk, live my life in any way I want to live my life. But because I trust in Him, I need to be walking in a manner, living my life in a manner, being concerned about His will, in, in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work. Do you see that? See, that, that confuses people. He's not saying we're saved by good works, but I think he is saying this, because we're saved, we ought to have good works. We ought to be like a fruitful tree that pops some fruit out on us. You know, a tree, I, I grew up in an area of Willis County that has apple orchards all over the place. And you can watch it go through a process. And, you know, the trees get water and sunshine and everything like that. And it gets in a flower and mode. And then you see these little knots start to come out of them that, you know, if you've never seen it before, you might not realize it are apples, and then there's this growth process, continued sun, water, and things like that, and eventually it becomes, you know, this nice-looking apple that you can eat, some fruit that's there. In a same, similar way that ought to happen in our lives spiritually to where His sun shines on us, the S-O-N, 
And he's watering our lives through his word. And through that, we're like fruitful trees and things pop out on our lives that give evidence that we really know him. That we have good works in our lives. Not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. No one is saved by their works. I'll say more about that in a moment. But we are saved so that we can work for him. So that we can be concerned about his will. Jesus gives a serious disclaimer. And the reason he gives it is because there's a serious day on the way. A serious day. The next verse, verse 22, he said, On that day, specific day, many, not just a few. Is that not a little bit worrisome? Many, on that day, many will will say to me, Lord, Lord. See, Jesus has just said not everyone's going to heaven. And many in that day are going to say, Lord, Lord, but, 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 we, but I did this and I did that. Did, did we not prophesy in your name did we, and, and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? How can you tell us we're, we're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven? Look what we've done. Jesus talks about a day of judgment here. The word on, in some translations say in instead, which is really more correct, I think, based upon what the word means. But the word uh, means in a, in a fixed position. Same word that was used a moment ago about God being in a fixed position in heaven. In that day, and the word that is not just your regular old you know, word that we might think of that. In the English language, we'll read over the word that and not even think much about it. The word means that one. In that one, in a specific day. So Jesus is talking about a day of judgment, a fixed, set time when judgment is going to take place. Now, I don't have time to go into all that today because they, I don't want to get you confused with the semantics of it and everything because, you know, the Bible talks about more than one type of judgment. But, you know, just to kind of compact it for us today because of what we're talking about, you need to understand there's a judgment day, okay? Irregardless of whether it's for you as a believer or, you know, lost people, there, there's a time of judgment. There's a time when people will stand before a holy God. There's a time that that holy God, without any arguments that we could possibly make, will evaluate some things, like whether we really knew Christ as our Savior, and, and if so, you know, kind of how we used our lives. There's a day when God, as an all-knowing, all-powerful God, will open up His book and read from it. And no excuse that anyone can make or a defense lawyer or anything else can get you off the hook. It's not like, you know, God's going to read it out and then someone will say, well, yeah, that's true, but God, let me kind of give you an excuse and explain that. There won't be any excuses. 
You see, that's kind of a scary thought, I, I think, for people because the, the thought is so scary, people want to put it out of their mind sometimes. But I'm telling you, the Bible clearly says there's a time of accountability. And, and you might want to put it out of your mind because it almost takes your breath to think about it, but that doesn't do away with the reality of it. Jesus is clearly talking about a day of judgment. Won't be any appeals, won't be any higher courts to appeal it to. He is the high court. And it's also going to be a day without excuses. Jesus said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Look at some things there, two main things. Look at the implication. Think about the implication of the word many. Because that word many bothers me. It does. It literally means much in any respect. It's talking about a large amount. It literally means what Jesus said. It means many. In a day of judgment, in that specific day, when Jesus is saying not everyone's going to heaven, there are going to be many. Don't you wish it said few? Don't you wish it said nobody? There's going to be many in that day that's going to say some things. There'll be many. They're going to miss heaven. That's the implication of the word many. There will be many who will be surprised when they discover they're not going to heaven. You see, Jesus, this isn't the only time Jesus dealt with this word many because Jesus also told a story about two ways. Look at these verses right here. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are what? Many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those that find it are few. So it's, it's a really serious implication that Jesus gives here as he uses the word many. There will be many people who will be shocked to find out that they're not going to heaven. Many people are going to find out they've trusted in the wrong thing. Many people will want to plead their case, but it will be too late and there won't be any plea to make it that time. The implication of the word many, then I want you to notice the basis of some people's expectation of going to heaven. The basis of some people's expectation of heaven. Jesus said many, in that day, a day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do this stuff? God, we prophesied, we told the future in your name. We, God, we cast out demons and devils in your name. God, we did all this marvelous stuff in your name. Will you notice maybe an emphasis that I think is taking a place there? No, you're not getting in. But Jesus, look at what we did. Jesus, look at what I did. You're going to tell me I'm, I, you're not letting me in heaven. Look at what I did. 
Look at what some of the words mean that Jesus uses here. Many are going to utter, they're going to speak. Lord, Lord, once again, supreme authority is talking about God, the one, him being the, the one that's the, the master. Many are going to say, but, you know, we did this. We prophesied, we foretold events, or we spoke under divine inspiration. There'll be people who have preached that will be surprised one day that they don't get in. If they're basing their entrance into heaven upon the fact that they preached. Even though they did it in sincerity, they did it thinking they were doing it in His name or His authority. And the word name, when it's used here in the Bible, really talks about the character of the person you're talking about. So it's like they're thinking, we did it in, in your character. We cast out, we, you know, look what we did, Jesus. We cast out devils and demons. We, we did all these miracles. Look what he says in the next, next slide. We, we cast people out in your name. We, we did many. We, Jesus, we did a lot of stuff. We did a large amount of, of mighty works or miracles. And, and the word there is the Greek word dunamis that we get some of our English words like dynamite or dynamic or dynamo from. And it literally means to have force or miraculous power. But, but the emphasis, I think, is this. But Jesus, we did all this. You see, here's the problem. Nobody, nobody is going to heaven based upon what they've done. It doesn't matter how many times you think you foretold the future or preached under divine inspiration. That doesn't get you into heaven. It doesn't matter how many times you think you won a victory over demons and devils. That doesn't get you into heaven. It doesn't matter how many mighty works you think you have done. That does not get you into heaven. There is only one work that has ever been accomplished that is sufficient for you and I to be forgiven. And that's why when Jesus died on the cross, He shouted, It is finished. Period. It is what Jesus has done on the cross is the only basis for anyone to enter into heaven. And I'm just afraid that in that day that Jesus is talking about, in a day of judgment, there are going to be some people who are dependent upon the wrong stuff, and they're going to be saying, but I did this, I did that, I did all these dynamic things for you. And Jesus, I was, I was doing it all for your, for your benefit. Look at what I've done. How can you tell me that I'm not getting into heaven and the point is that just doing something for Jesus doesn't get you into the kingdom of heaven. We ought to do things for Jesus, but not in order that we can enter heaven. We ought to do things for Jesus because we are going to heaven, having trusted in the finished, final work of Jesus on the cross. His redemption that took place on the cross, shed in His blood, for the payment of my sins and your sins, that through Him we can have everlasting life. And some people, though, are going to be shocked and surprised because their basis for entering the heaven is this. But look what I've done. How can, Jesus, how can you tell me no? Look what I've done. And I did it for you. Look what I've done. 
See, Jesus isn't impressed with what we've done. Jesus wants us to be impressed with what he's done. Jesus isn't impressed with our own perceived good works. Jesus wants us to be blown away by how great he is, by his glory, by his grace, that we, as undeserving as we are, who can never save ourselves, by the amazing grace of God, can enter heaven because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's the basis for entering heaven, not saying, but I did this, and I did that, and I did this. No one, no one is going to heaven based on their own works. It's only what Jesus has done that's sufficient. Now, don't take my word for it. Look at these verses. Yeah, we know that a person is not justified. No one is made just like they have never sinned by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified, to be made as though you've never sinned before God. How? Not by your works, but by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Do you think that's pretty clear? I mean, it's like he repeated it, and he repeated it again, and he repeated it again. Look at this in Romans. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth might be stopped. In other words, if you're reading the law, you're not supposed to have the idea, yeah, I can do that, and yes, sir, I'll do that. God, I'll do these things, and I'll get into heaven. Instead, it's supposed to be, good night. I don't have any hope. Instead, it stops your mouth. It stops you from bragging about what you've done. Why? That the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Once again, made just like you've never sinned. Made right before God in His sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's why the law was given to us to show us how messed up we are. And how much we need what Jesus did for us on the cross. But now the righteousness of God, how to be made right before God, has been manifested apart from the law, without the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. They told us in advance what Jesus would do for us. The righteousness of God being made right before God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who work. Is that what it says? For all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all sin and fall short of the glory of God, the, the, the Jew and the Gentile alike, and are justified by His grace as a what? Gift. You can't earn it, you can't deserve it. The gift is available to you because of the redemption, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Jesus shed His blood on the cross as full payment for your sin and my sin, that through Him we can have everlasting life. To whom God put forth as a propitiation, in other words, as satisfaction, as all that needs to be done, as that blood poured out on the mercy seat, so to speak, as a propitiation by His blood 
to be received how? By faith. There is a serious day on the way. It is a day of judgment. And some people are going to be very surprised because they have been trusting in the wrong thing. I was busy. I won't have time for the story, but I'll tell it anyway. I was busy yesterday being a good husband. I might get some of you guys in trouble. I was vacuuming, and Becky was vacuuming some, and I was using a, we bought one of these steam mops a while back because most of our floors are not carpet. It's like laminate uh, hardwoods and, and tile or linoleum, so we bought one of these steamers, and I'm running that steamer along you know, cleaning stuff and everything. Then I hear a knock, knock, knock on my door. So I go to the door, and here's these uh, two guys in pristine uh, white shirts and a black tie and black pants on. <laughs> and they introduce themselves as the older so-and-so and, you know, uh, and everything like that. I started to joke around and say, Elder, you're, you two guys are a whole lot younger than me. One of them said, you in law enforcement? And I thought, well, you know, he, he thinks because of this that I must be in law enforcement. By the way, this, I'm not addressed this really. This means that I didn't have a lot on top to begin with and I'm having to work out so much right now instead of shampoo and what hair I had two or three times a day. It's easier to wipe it off with a rag, okay? Because <laughs> with the diabetes and, and, and the work I'm doing and, and everything, because I, I, we got some guys here, I, I, I say, you know, you're my inspiration. And I've got another inspiration. I had a couple of people tell me, the pastor looked like Bruce Willis on stage, so I'm working out on my Bruce Willis look. <laughs> so I thought they were perceptive based upon that. And I forgot I had on some shorts that said North Carolina Highway Patrol on them. And I was never in the Highway Patrol, but I had a church member who went for training uh, there that brought me some shorts back one time. I was always, uh, you know, local municipality in law enforcement, and I forgot I had those on, so, you know, he had looked down and, and, uh, and read that. And I said, no, not. So it used to be. And uh, I was waiting for him to ask, and they did. And I said, well, I've, I've been a Baptist pastor for 28 years. They didn't want to stay around and talk a lot. And when they did leave, I thought, man, I, I missed it. You know what I should have done? I should have said, hey, because I want them to look at this anyway. He's a Baptist pastor. Look at his arms. I wished I thought before they walked out to say, can I tell you what this means? This means I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus did. I'm not going to go to heaven because I knock on enough doors. That doesn't mean we shouldn't knock on doors and tell people about Jesus. We should, but we ought to tell them about Jesus, the real Jesus, and not a lesser version of Jesus that they would be sharing with people. But see, the reason I'm going to heaven is because of what Jesus said. It is finished. No one is going there based upon what they've done. There's a day of judgment on the way, and a lot of people are going to be shocked, I'm afraid, in that day to hear Jesus said, uh, you're not getting in, and here's why. You're not really done the will of my Father, which never was to work your way to heaven. It was to understand how lost you are and receive Christ as your Savior. And they're going to start saying, but, but, but we did, but I did, but I did this, but I did. It's not based upon what you and I do. I'm so glad. I don't do very good at it sometimes. I'm so glad it's based upon what he did. Some very serious 
things that Jesus said. He, he gave us a serious disclaimer. Not everybody's going to heaven. He talked about a serious day, and then he finishes up this section here by, by making a very serious declaration. Look at what Jesus said in verse 23. And then, when? When people are making excuses. When people are saying, but, but we did this and we did that. And then, will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, two things there. First of all, no relationship, I think, is what Jesus is talking about. No relationship. He said, and then I will declare, I never knew you. That phrase, and then, means at that time. A day of judgment is what he's talking about. At that time, when people are claiming their own works. At that time, I'm going to declare to them. I'm going to, I'm going to covenant to them. I'm, I'm going to acknowledge. I'm going to profess. I'm going to confess to them. I'm making them a promise that in that day, I never, and the word never in the Greek means not even at any time, never at all. That's what Jesus is saying. There's never, ever any time that I knew you. I didn't know you. You didn't know me. You, we didn't have a relationship. I never, ever knew you. I never had absolute knowledge of you. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't. Jesus knows everything about us because he's God in the flesh. But he's talking about relationally, in relationship with him. Like I said earlier, Jesus isn't impressed by our works. He's impressed by us being honest and saying, I can't save myself. And he wants us to be impressed with what he's done. And he wants us to understand our only hope is a relationship with a holy God through the shed blood that he shed on the cross. God doesn't want us acting like we've got a punch ticket to get into heaven and now we're going to live however we want to live. He longs for a relationship with us. He longs for us to read his word. And let him direct our lives and speak to our hearts. He longs for us to talk to him and have fellowship with him. He longs for us to have a relationship with him. He wants much more than us just saying that we believed in him and then live our lives for ourselves without giving him a moment's thought. He wants much more from his followers than just to maybe you know, show up on Sunday and then live however you want until Sunday and then live however you want until Sunday and then live however you want until Sunday. Like, like you're, you're just concerned about God when you show up on Sunday, if you even show up every Sunday. He wants a lot more than that out of our lives. He wants a relationship with us. He wants us to know Him intimately. He wants us to have that absolute knowledge. That, that Greek word, gnosko, means to know absolutely, to have that type of knowledge, that, that type of, of intimate knowledge. Jesus wants us to know Him like that. See, real Christianity is a relationship with the Holy God through Jesus. It's a relationship that was provided through the blood of Jesus Christ. Christianity is not just knowing facts about Jesus. Christianity 
is having complete, total faith in what Jesus has done for us and having that relationship, desiring and seeking a relationship to follow Him. See, we miss the meaning of what even Christian is in our culture today. When it was first coined, it means to be a little Christ. Not just to be somebody that has a tag, Christian, on their lives. No relationship results in no reservation. Like a hotel reservation, reservation at a restaurant, reservation in heaven. No relationship means no reservation. Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Will you stop and notice something? That's the same Jesus that stands with open arms and says, let whosoever will come. Same guy. But one day, the same tender lamb of God that died on the cross for us and stands with open arms and says, let whosoever will come. The same Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never, ever knew you. I didn't have any kind of relationship with you, so there's no reservation. It's almost like Jesus is saying this. You didn't have time for me in your life. I don't have time for you now. All you did in your life was to be a worker of lawlessness. Look at what some of the words mean. He's literally meaning, he's telling people just to go away. I mean, it's honestly, you could kind of paraphrase it to say, leave me alone. I'm done with you at this point. Like telling somebody to go away comes from two root words, away and to be in another space or to give somebody space. It's like Jesus saying, hey, you did not give me space in your life when I was asking for it, when I tried to call you to myself and you didn't, you weren't concerned about it at all. You didn't give me any space then. I'm not giving you any space now. He called them workers of it. He's saying you toiled as a task. You sought out as an occupation. You were engaged with in your life lawlessness. You didn't have any concern about my will. You didn't have any concern about the fact that I died for you on the cross. You just wanted to live your life your way, and you engaged your whole life with, with violating our, my law, by, by living in wickedness, by, by being a transgressor, by living an unrighteous life. That's the way you lived your life. That's the way you occupied your life. So the same one says, whosoever will let him come, we'll say in that day, to people who are deluded because they're dependent upon their own works and their own goodness, will say in that day to them, depart from me, I never knew you at all. Instead of being real Christians, there will be people who are counterfeits. And that's kind of what Jesus has going on, like I said earlier, all through Matthew chapter 7. The things that he's talking about in Matthew chapter 7. This is a real believer. This is a counterfeit. This is someone that acts like they're a sheep, but they're really a wolf. This is someone who acts like they belong to me. They act like they're a tree, but they're not bearing fruit. They're bearing bad fruit instead of good fruit. This is somebody that acts like they belong to me. They hear what I say, but they don't, they don't apply what I say at all. 
They don't care what I say. So their house falls when judgment comes. I'm afraid a lot of people have had their minds blinded because 2 Corinthians says this. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing, those who are lost. In their case, the God of this world, talking about Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan has some people blinded into thinking it's their behavior, it's their good works, it's what they do that will get them into heaven. And in a day of judgment, that's not going to be the case. And guys, I'm telling you, I have a huge, huge concern that there are going to be a lot of people in that day, in a day of judgment, who are going to be shocked and surprised to find out they're not making it. They're not going to heaven. Because they've trusted in the wrong thing. They never ever trusted in Jesus authentically and had a relationship with Him. Jesus talks about two ways, two trees, two builders. He talks about the end result of two lies that we see today. And in a day of judgment, there are going to be people that find out that they weren't authentic. And Jesus clearly says, not everybody's going to heaven. Jesus gives us a serious disclaimer. Not everybody's going. He talks about a serious day, a day of judgment. And then he makes a serious, serious, serious declaration as he says, I never knew you. And since I did not know you, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Obedience, and a lot of times we wrestle with this. You see, obedience doesn't save us. Obedience is the test or evidence, maybe, of our salvation. That we are actually concerned with what God says and what He's done. Words what we say, Lord, Lord, words what we say are not a substitute for obedience. It's not a substitute for you and I being actually concerned about what the Father's will is. Good works and religious works are not a substitute that will get us into heaven. Preaching or miracles or whatever we think we do are not a substitute to get us into heaven. It's likely that Judas, have you ever thought about this? And the Bible tells us Judas was lost, I think. The Bible calls him the devil. You realize that before Judas died, as he was following Jesus around, there's probably times that he preached. Probably times that he did some good things. But the Bible still refers to him as being a devil. Jesus says, not everyone is entering the kingdom of heaven. But only those that do the will of the Father. And ultimately, that means we trust him. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray right now you'd help us to be concerned and serious and honest before you. Lord, if there's someone here that's not, not authentic, God, if there's someone here that doesn't really know you, 
Father, I pray that you'd speak to them. Lord, there may be somebody here that's never, ever made that step at all to say yes to Jesus. And maybe they've held back because they thought somehow it was dependent upon them straightening their lives out themselves and doing good works so you would accept them. Father, help anyone that may think that right now to understand it's not based upon what they've done, but it's based upon what Jesus did on the cross. Father, if there's anyone here that has just named the name of Jesus and they've been saying, Lord, Lord, but they've deceived themselves and in vanity, really, they've taken your name, but they don't know you. God, help them to put pride completely to the side and help them right now to be willing to admit that they've been trusting in the wrong things. Maybe that they've even been living a lie because they said, Lord, Lord, or they've said they're Christian, but there's never ever been any transformation, any life change. They're not a new creature. They're not ever even concerned with what your will is. Father, give anyone that's in that state today the honesty and the willingness to admit they need you. God, for the rest of us that know for sure, help us right now to thank you and to celebrate what Jesus did for us. God, maybe during the invitation, we need just to get on our faces and thank you. But at the same time, as I prayed earlier, burden our hearts for many around us who are not going to heaven unless they trust in Christ authentically. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God speaks to your heart. We invite you to come. It's real easy at a time like this if you've had the perception, the persona of being a believer, and yet now you really wonder. I tell you what, I would rather throw that aside and put pride aside and know for sure. My oldest daughter, Jessica, when she was five, knew the words to say. When she was eight, she broke down at the table when we were eating dinner, crying, and I asked her, what's wrong? She said, Daddy, I don't want to go to hell. So even though she knew the words to say, it wasn't real with her until she was eight years old. And that's what she had to admit. If you're in that place, I wouldn't leave today. I wouldn't let pride keep me back. If you know you're saved, thank God, celebrate as they sing. Maybe come and pray for lost friends. If God speaks to your heart, please come. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Dayton Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.